What's one thing you wish everybody knew? I'm your host and producer, Dexter Thomas, and that's the question I'm here to ask in If Everybody Knew, a brand new podcast from the Humanities Council at Princeton. Every month, I'll talk to artists, journalists, and scholars from Princeton and beyond to get into the research, the ideas, and the untold stories that could change the world, or at least maybe just the way you look at things. We'll get into that a little bit more at the end of the show. But first, I want to ask you a question. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase shuffle along? Now, I found that there's three kinds of people when it comes to that phrase. The first group knows exactly what I'm talking about. Not a very big group, though. The second group, which is a lot bigger, knows nothing about it. But I think there's also a third group, and this one might be the biggest one. And that's the people that actually do know a little bit about shuffle along. They just don't realize it because what they know is either in bits and pieces or it's secondhand. You might actually fall into that same group. I mean, I know that I did. And in my case, I know about it from this weird Daffy Duck cartoon that I used to have on VHS when I was a little kid, where Daffy is chasing Porky Pig. He throws him into a chair and then he starts singing this song. We'll get to how that happened later. But for those people who are still wondering what Shuffle Along is, let me catch you up to speed. Shuffle Along was the first major all-black Broadway musical. It debuted in 1921 and was created by Noble Sissel and Yubi Blake, who were two famous musicians, and Aubrey Lyles and Flournoy Miller, two vaudeville comedians. And it absolutely changed everything. It introduced jazz to Broadway. It was where Josephine Baker got her start. Paul Robeson was part of the cast at one point. Nat King Cole was part of the orchestra for one of the revival shows. And President Harry S. Truman used the song from Shuffle Along for his re-election campaign. And none other than Langston Hughes said that Shuffle Along was the thing that kicked off the Harlem Renaissance. I could keep going, but I'll stop here. It ran for 504 performances on Broadway alone, which was absolutely unheard of. But then it vanished. So this episode isn't really about Shuffle Along so much. It's more about the vanishing part, about why we don't know about it. To get into that, I called up Cassine Gaines. He published a book about Shuffle Along this year, and it starts out with a story from before anyone knew that Shuffle Along was gonna be big. As a matter of fact, on the opening night, the creators of the show thought they might be dead before the night was over. And it was all because of a song. Opening night of Shuffle Along, 1921, producers had actually received threats that white audiences were going to raise this theater to the ground if they did not cut out a subplot wherein Harry Walton and Jesse Williams, two characters in the show, um, sang a love duet called Love Will Find a Way. And then they have a kiss, a very tame, like, kiss on the cheek at the end of this song. Um, so prior to Shuffle Along, Black people were on stage primarily for the pleasure of white audiences, which is to say, to make white audiences laugh at them, to make white audiences feel superior to them, 
Jezebels or Mammies, you know, characters that were familiar and comforting to white audiences. But just a woman saying, I am in love with a man, not I want to go to bed with a man, but I want to be in a romantic relationship and let's see where it goes from there. That was revolutionary in 1921. That was unheard of in 1921. And just to clarify, it was revolutionary, it was unheard of, and it put everyone on stage in danger. You had Noble Sissel, Floynoy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles literally at the stage door with the door open, expecting that they're going to have to run uptown to Harlem if the ta- if the crowd turns hostile. UB Blake, poor UB Blake was out in the orchestra pit conducting, so he was, you know, stuck out there by himself. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, there really was a very legitimate fear that things could turn violent. And I think it, it also highlights how even in New York City, mm. there was this concern. You know, when we think about the Jim Crow era, we typically think about it quite pejoratively as having been a Southern issue, as having been a Southern problem. But racism was alive and well in New York City and the North in 1921, just as racism is alive and well in New York City and the North in 2021. And so they were quite literally prepared to have a show that they believed in, you know, torn apart because of white folks. And yet they didn't cancel the performance. They didn't take the number out. They, they took personal precautions. They stood by the door. <laughs> yeah. They stood by the door, but they were, were willing to, to take the chance and do it. And I think that's really what is worth remembering about this moment. Looking back from today, it might be hard for us to understand the fear that everyone was feeling on stage that night, especially now that we know that white audiences basically accepted the musical and it went on to be a huge success. But just a few days later, the cast of Shuffle Along would be reminded of just how real the threat of violence really was. Shuffle Along debuted on Broadway on May 23rd, On the evening of May 31st, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a mob of armed white men entered Greenwood, a prosperous black business district, also known as Black Wall Street. Within hours, the entire town was on fire. Thousands of black people were left homeless, and a potential hundreds were killed. They're still finding the bodies from this. But back on Broadway, the show went on. It had to. The closest I ever got to finding out the cast's sentiments about Tulsa was Mm -hmm. Noble Sissel saying in an unpublished memoir that there was so much struggle and pain in the Black community around the time of Shuffle Along's opening. But in a way, he feels like that's what made people go see Shuffle Along, Black audiences in particular, that it provided joy, humor. It provided an opportunity to see Black folks succeed. And I think when you look at the reviews in the Black press around that period of time, 
what I was most moved by as frankly, um, a reader, not even a writer, and as a researcher, was looking at articles that said Shuffle Along provides hope for Black people. The hopefulness in those sentiments in the early days of the show's premiere is so striking and beautiful and overwhelming to me. But it's a little strange, right? As much as people don't like looking at the ugly parts of our history, of the things that people know about the spring of 1921, they're more likely to know about Tulsa, the ugly part, and not shuffle along, one of the most triumphant moments of black art, or really American art, of the entire decade. But in 2016, there was a moment where it looked like we might be starting to bring back some of those good memories. That was when the famous director George C. Wolfe created a new musical called Shuffle Along or The Making of the Musical Sensation of 1921 and All That Followed. Kind of a long title and a little confusing, I know. Anyway, this 2016 version featured music from the original, but it wasn't a remake. It was a musical about the original 1921 musical, telling the story of how Shuffle Along was created. And the cast was amazing. It featured Audra McDonald, Billy Porter, and some rising talent that before long would be a household name among serious theater fans. My name is Amber Iman, and I'm an actor, a writer, and an activist. Amber was still pretty new, especially compared to some of her co-stars, so she was a little nervous. But she says one thing that everyone had in common was that nobody really knew much about the 1921 musical before starting. So rehearsals were kind of like showing up to a history class. George C. Wolfe, who is our writer and director, is also just a lover of knowledge. And he would find news clippings from 1921 and prior. So like if we were rehearsing on August 3rd, he would have a newspaper from August 3rd, 1921. Wow. And so you could see what was happening in the world, not even just with Black people, just like what was going on in the world at that time. What were the conversations with other people in the cast as you're learning this history that you realize that you, that you didn't know before? We were all embarrassed. <laughs> we were all, wow. emba- I mean, embarrassed in its different forms. It was just being astounded that we didn't know this. You know, like mm. Audra McDonald, Billy Porter, like musical theater legends. And we all mm. knew a little bit, but we were surprised at how much we didn't know. The embarrassment is not true embarrassment because we understand the educational system. <laughs> like, of course, nobody was teaching us about Shuffle Along. So just mm-hmm. more embarrassing for like, imagine how much else there is out there that we just have no clue about. So after months of learning and preparation, it was finally time to see if the show would live up to the hype. And there was a lot of hype. The show debuted, reviews were positive, tickets were selling, and the show got 10 Tony nominations. Then the night of the Tonys came. Of the awards that had been nominated for, Shuffle Along won zero. Hamilton had also debuted that year, and pretty much every one of the awards Shuffle Along was up for went to Hamilton, and then some. Hamilton ended the night with 16 awards. Soon after that, the producers of 2016's Shuffle Along put out a press release saying that the show was closing in a few weeks. Audiences were shocked. 
But I gotta be clear here. We don't actually know why the producers decided to pull the plug. Maybe they really didn't think they could survive without those Tony Awards. But it was clear, at least to Amber, that the message being sent was that Broadway only had room for one story featuring black people, and that story was going to be one that the majority was most comfortable with. Hamilton helped white people digest hip-hop in a way that was tangible for them. So for them, that was groundbreaking. Ask any black person who, or person of color who goes to see Hamilton and they're like, no, now it is stunning what it does. And the musical is stunning. It's really powerful. But like across the street is black people telling a story about how black people literally change history. Like honestly put respect on both of them. Like we are telling a story of black people who came together in a time when there were no black people on Broadway doing what we did. They introduced jazz music to musical theater. It's the first time two black people stood on Broadway and sang love songs about each other. So for the mm. industry to decide that our history wasn't as, as important as their history was just like, okay, you really understand the business and the industry for what it is. And you you later went on to be in Hamilton, right? Begrudgingly. <laughs> really? I, absolutely. I did not want to do that show. Absolutely. And I've said it before. Yeah, you heard that right. Soon after Shuffle Along ended, Ambry Mon joined the national tour of Hamilton, where she played as Peggy Schuyler and Maria Reynolds. And if you saw Hamilton in 2018, that was her on stage. Matter of fact, if you already knew her name before listening to this, that's very likely where you know her from. But what you might not know is how painful the beginning of that was for her and a lot of other members of the cast. It just still is so hurtful because I wanted to do Shuffle Along. That's the show I wanted to do. I didn't, when the show closed, Lin-Manuel, who I have to give him his props, he came to see us in our final week and he gets it. He knew that Hamilton was the reason we were closing, period. And there were several other shows that were closing. And he had a special round of auditions for the actors who were in those shows. It was wow. like not a publicized audition. It was a closed audition. And I think three of us, three or four of us from Shovel Along went to do that national tour of Hamilton because they made space for us. But did I really want to do Hamilton? Absolutely not. I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to tell the story of people who look like me. It's, it's, you see how Shuffle Along happens all mm -hmm. over the world, not just in the theater industry. Shuffle Alongs and what happens to us happens when mm. black folks come together to create something and people who don't understand us, don't understand our culture, don't speak our language, get to decide, eh, yeah, no, let's just scrap it. Like, I don't want to say it, but after us, our producers produced Hello Dolly. You know what I'm like? They took their money and literally went across the street and was like, we got this. When you talk about it, I hear you talking about it and I hear other cast members talk about it. It's, it's like they're talking about somebody, like a friend who passed. Yes. It felt like a death in the family, close. Not the second wow. cousin twice removed. It felt like something you love that was close to you was taken. If you talk to any of us about Shuffle five years later, we all still have this exact same energy. It, and that's how you know, like how hurtful it was. There's not a like, mm. oh, you know, it moved on. We are still hot. <laughs> like, I think in 20 years, if you ask me about Shuffle Along, I will still be this level of pissed because it, wow. it just... It, it hurts in so many different ways. And I think half of it is because the reason to revive the show and bring it back to life and tell it in a new way is like to honor the show from 1921, to honor those names, to tell their stories, 
to keep their names in the space and to sing mm. the songs that they wrote and speak the words that they wrote. It's like the least we could have done was preserved it in some way. Let's say we got a cast album, but no film or a film and no cast album to work mm. that hard to bring this story back to life and cut it down in 99 shows and not even preserve it. Like it, it's insulting. You know what I'm saying? Man. Whew. Okay. <laughs> what am I supposed to do after this conversation? <laughs> Take a long walk. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I mean, this is one of those laugh to avoid crying kind of situations, right? But what Amber just said a moment ago, that the show wasn't preserved, she's right. There's no easily accessible public place where you can find the 2016 Shuffle Along. If you live in a place that Hamilton hasn't toured yet, or if you can't afford tickets, you can still experience it. There's an album with all the songs. There's a video of the whole thing streaming online. Hamilton is now a permanent part of our culture. 2016 Shuffle Along though, there's one place in a library that has an archival tape. But for everyone who isn't a researcher who lives in New York, it's basically vanished. But then again, why did it take 95 years for someone to try to bring Shuffle Along back into our memories? Who hid this from us for so long? To find out a little bit more about that, I thought I might talk to someone who studies this stuff. My name is Katherine M. Young, and I am a theater historian. I study popular entertainments, mostly in the U.S., from the late 19th and early 20th century, and I currently teach first-year writing at Princeton. In addition to her teaching work, Katherine has written a lot about Shuffle Along, both the original and the 2016 version. And she's very convinced that this is an important musical for people to know about. But she's got some insight on why a lot of people might not know about it. She says that especially when she talks about the 1921 version, there's something that always comes up. I think that what does interest people the most is probably that um, black performers wore blackface. And mm. that's very confusing for a lot of people and just trying to walk folks through that and say like yeah it was a convention of the time it was a comic convention of the time you know some performers did it um and it's complicated so yeah i guess we need to talk about that the legendary musical created by black artists featuring all black performers the one that Cassim Gaines and dr katherine young have written extensively about the one langston hughes and w.e.b du bois praised features two black comedians who wore blackface. They spend the whole musical bumbling around and talking in an exaggerated, stereotypical hey, 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 Sam, dialect. Sam, where, where you going? Is you lost that? Come here. There's your corner here. That man done hit me so hard, I don't know where I am. Thought you told me you were the first class prize fighter. Well, I is. Then why don't you stop some of them blows? That's what I done. Yeah, yeah, you stopped them, huh? Yeah, with my mouth. Yeah, why yeah. don't that man scatter his blows? That's from one of the few audio recordings that survives from around the time the original musical was being performed. One of the other few artifacts is a promotional photo. It shows the two characters you just heard. They're stealing money out of a safe, and both of the men have their faces painted as black as the safe. 
Their eyes look like they're bugged out, their lips are drawn on, and they're making funny faces. I actually hadn't planned on talking about this with Catherine necessarily, but since it came up, I decided to ask about it. It is... It's a pretty wild photo. I mean, it's... It's actually not immediately apparent. It's clear that this is blackface, but it's actually not immediately apparent that they're black. Yes, I agree. I can certainly imagine, you know, if you've got a student and you're telling them, hey, listen, this is a really important musical that you should know about. And they look at this picture and they're just, mm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm a pass. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you have that feeling when you look at that photo? Um, I think if I didn't already know the context, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd rather not be subjected to that. I mean, honestly, I, I, I appreciate that stance. And I, even though I'm an educator and it's my job to try to, you know, bring students to a point of investigation mm. and analysis, when you look back at the history of blackface, mm. it represents so much violence. Theater historians have to work with people where they are. I mean, especially if we are teachers, like it's very hard to teach young people about blackface in a way that isn't traumatic as a white woman i mean it's not for me to say but i you know i wouldn't want anything to do with it it's sort of hard to think about a hundred years later but even frederick Douglass said in the late 1800s that he thought blackface was a deplorable practice, but he also felt that there was something to be gained anytime black performers had the ability to be seen by white audiences mm. who could then recognize that they had talent and worth and value. Miller and Lyles, by being black performers in blackface, they actually were doing that as a way to expand their reach to white audiences. They knew that it was an unfortunate concession, but a concession that ultimately was moving in the direction of progress. And so it's it's complex. It's, it's really weird to think about it. I mean, the, what, what you're saying and what it sounds like the argument here is that it's difficult now, I think, for us in 2021 to think of blackface as strategic as a strategic move mm -hmm. that a black person can make to get themselves in front of a white audience long enough to show them something else right but that's what was happening that's what was happening and, and i think and there's a story that cassine tells that i think really exemplifies what the artists were trying to do it's from after shuffle along had been running for a while it's early in the evening just before the show is about to start Yubi Blake is sitting out by the audience, and he happens to overhear a couple of white folks talking. They've just sat down, and one of them seems really upset about something. So Yubi overhears this white woman say to the person she's with, oh my god, I didn't realize we're at a colored show. And he makes the decision at that moment that he is going to make her his personal project. And he's not going to speak to her, he's going to just 
make sure the orchestra is tight. Make sure that he has all of his, you know, ducks in a row for this performance. Yeah, he's going to play his heart out and make sure that everyone else does as well. And when the show is, I don't recall if it's during intermission or when the show is over, but at some point the woman actually goes up to him. Oh, wow. And says, you know, I'm, I don't know if you heard me when I sat down and he says that he didn't, even though he had. And she said, you know, I, I just want to congratulate you on this musical. And I want to, I want you to relay my congratulations to everyone who's a part of this company. You know, this show was amazing and I'll, I'm going to tell everyone to go see it. And, you know, Yubi and Noble Sissel really had the mindset that if they played to a thousand white people in the audience every night and they could just have a hundred of those people think a little bit better about black people at the end of two hours just a little bit better just a hundred mm -hmm. that if they just played enough shows they they were doing their part for advancing race relations every performance you know noble sissel's father was a Methodist preacher and really wanted Noble Sissel to become an evangelist like him. And mm. Noble Sissel said, you know, look, I never became an evangelist in the traditional sense, but I really feel like what we are doing every night is evangelical work for the black race by going out wow. and playing these performances and just hoping that we are changing hearts and minds and sentiments just, you know, two hours at a time. In the early days, people, especially black people, generally respected what Shuffle Along was achieving. So the trouble isn't just that students don't wanna learn about Shuffle Along or that their professors are hesitant about teaching it to them. That's not the issue, or at least that's not how we got here. How we got here is that soon after Shuffle Along's first run, it started to fall out of favor among white people and black people. After the original run, there was an attempt to bring it back for a revival in 1932, but that didn't work out so well. Then there was talk of a movie adaptation in 1942, but that never materialized. By this time, things were moving along. Black artists were starting to find work in Hollywood and white producers were starting to pull songs from the original Shuffle Along and use it in their own productions. By the early 1940s, the hit song from Shuffle Along, I'm Just Wild About Harry, had been featured in two movies, both times sung by white actresses. And then in 1949, President Harry Truman used the song for his re-election campaign. When he won, the campaign invited UB Blake and Noble Sissel to sing it at the inauguration in Washington, D.C. But then, at the last minute, the campaign canceled on them and instead invited one of those same white actresses to sing their song. Cassine says that by this point, a lot of people knew the songs, but might have had no idea that it came from black writers and singers. So I guess I shouldn't feel too bad about thinking that Daffy Duck made that song when I was a kid. But back then, memories were a little fresher, and there was still a chance to set the record straight. In the early 50s, there was one more attempt to finally bring Shuffle Along back to Broadway. But some of the biggest opponents of this happening weren't white, they were black. 
1952, Pearl Bailey, who is a Black actress, a Broadway performer, star, was set to star in a revival of Shuffle Along. Mm. And she ultimately withdrew from that project and very publicly said that she thinks that Shuffle Along is horrible because of its history of blackface, of antebellum humor. And she encouraged people to not see the 1952 production. She encouraged black people in particular to not see it. And that production ultimately ran on Broadway for four performances, four. Yeah, four performances and the whole thing was canceled. And that was pretty much it. So it wasn't just that white producers were copying Shuffle Along, which they were, or that they were hiring black talent away from Shuffle Along to teach white performers how to dance and sing, which again, that was happening too. It's more complicated than that. And it's something that had been happening for a long time. Particularly in the 1930s, 1940s, and definitely in the 1950s, there was really a movement by black folks to say, Shuffle Along is antiquated. Shuffle Along was actually a really unfortunate moment in our history because of blackface. It's a show that is best left forgotten. It, it, it reminds me of hearing a story about, there was somebody who I believe went to go work in the library in Tulsa and they realized that somebody had gone into the stacks, into the old newspapers, and had cut out with a razor, had physically cut out and removed any mention of the massacre, any mention of that violence. They had just actually removed it. And so it's weird that the, the, these two things happened in such close proximity to each other, right? Just within days of each other, this, this height, right, of, of the debut of Shuffle Along, and then the violence in, in the massacre, really, uh, in, in, in Tulsa, and that both have been in some way buried, perhaps for different reasons by different populations, but there's sort of a mutually, almost mutually agreed upon, we're not going to, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Yeah. And it, it makes you wonder where are those other stories? You know, we are living in a moment where there is such a appropriate emphasis on wiping the dust off these coffins and saying, wait, no, this, this was here. This was here. You know, Tulsa did happen. There are people who live in Tulsa, who live in Tulsa, who live in the Greenwood section of Tulsa, who do not know what transpired a hundred years ago. Like they, they know about it today, but did they right. know about it 15 years ago? Did they know about it 10 years ago? Because the community said, look, we're not going to talk about this. We're going to move on. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, it feels like a tangent, but I don't think it is. There's something very interesting to me about something we do in this country in particular. I think this is a distinctly American thing where there are some things that we say we should never forget, never. 
And yet, when you remind people of other things, the statement is, ooh, that was the past. Ooh, we should never, we should never talk about that. That was such right. a long time ago. You know, UB Blake's parents were both enslaved people. UB Blake lived until the 1980s. That is a, a right. person who lived in the 1980s had parents who were enslaved. So when people say that was such a long time ago, was it? I mean, was it really? And if we can remember all these other things about American history, why can't we remember something like Shuffle Along? But it's not like we haven't had the opportunity to remember. I mean, we had one in 2016. But what happens then is another question entirely of, are we gonna remember the right thing? Catherine says she's not so sure. There's a scene in the 2016 musical where Billy Porter, who plays Aubrey Lyles, is putting on blackface. And he's talking directly to the audience about that same inner conflict that Cassine was just talking about. And that made Catherine wonder about what it is exactly that we expect people to remember. So t tell me about the experience of seeing it the first time. Um, what was it like? What was the crowd like? What was what was the energy like? What did it feel like? I was in very good seats. I was in the orchestra. I think I must have gotten like a rush ticket or like a TDF ticket or something. And I am always curious. I do always try to hold myself to account as like a white person of like, what am I getting out of this performance? And I always try to do like surreptitious audience scholarship, you know, and so there was sort of this white, older white couple next to me. And I was also just curious because there's a scene about putting on blackface and how um, difficult it is. So I was sort of like, oh, like what brought you to the show, you know, and they were like, we love tap. <laughs> and they love, we love tap. They love tap and dancing. Okay. Exactly. And so that's where I'm like, what's the pleasure here? Like, are those moments too easy for white audience members to ignore? Because the tap dancing is so amazing. Like, what do audiences get out of this show? Despite those kind of awkward interactions, Catherine went to see Shuffle Along a 2016 as often as she could, partially because she loved the show, but also because she's a researcher and it's kind of her job to study these things and think through these questions. But she says that it didn't really hit home until one particular trip. I remember bringing my daughter who was very little, like I brought her to a matinee and she looked down and then she looked up and it was the scene when um billy porter was put had put on blackface and she like gasped and i was like oh my god like what have i done how old was she five yeah she was like <gasps> she was like he put on so much makeup or something like that and i was like oh my god like i'm one of those horrible people like oh my god i brought my child to a black face performance like what have i done and it's like George Wolf has done all this framing work to frame it but she's five she's not picking up on the all the dialogue and the explication and uh you know so that was a really intense moment for me as a theater historian as a parent um I mean my daughter does not remember it like I have personally never forgotten it and it's makes me think about mm, 
questions of reception, right? And um, the politics of, of what audiences get out of a show like that. Um, and the limits of reframing, maybe. I don't know. Actually, I'm, I actually don't know what I think of it all. So look, Catherine's daughter had the benefit of her professor mom being there to explain the history of blackface as best she can and why it would be so painful. Now, that couple she was sitting next to at that first performance, I mean, maybe they already knew or maybe they learned something during the performance like the woman that Yui Blake was talking about, but maybe not, which leaves us right back where we've been circling around for decades. We can all agree that Shuffle Along was groundbreaking and that in its time, it was important. But that doesn't mean that everyone wants to watch it, or even that we can agree on who should watch it. I mean, you've probably got somebody in your Facebook friends list who you might not want to watch it because you're not sure if they would get it, whatever that means. Unfortunately, those decisions have been made for us because both the 1921 version and the 2016 version are pretty much gone. But that made me curious about what things might be like now had Shuffle Along not been buried. I decided to ask all three guests, starting with Cassine. What would have everybody knew about Shuffle Along? Let's imagine that for a moment. Mm-hmm. What if everybody knew about Shuffle Along? What if what if you what if you didn't have to give somebody a two-minute elevator speech? How might things be different? I'll tell you, that's that's um maybe the most important um question i've ever gotten about shuffle along i'll be honest with you really um we get to have deep discussions about all sorts of things in you know i, I will say like you know quote unquote mainstream culture you know culture that isn't considered to be on the fringe you know there are there are college courses that teach about sondheim and the musical that you can have deep discussions. We're going to look at Juliet and Romeo's exchange in Act Two, Scene Two, the balcony scene of Romeo and Juliet, and we're going to do a close read and have a reinterpretation and and what does this look like and why this word and why all of that. You know, black folks are often denied the dignity of nuance. Mm. You know, the dignity of being able to have a really specific conversation and a nuanced view of something. And I think that if everyone knew about Shuffle Along, we could have that nuanced conversation about what this show meant and Mm -hmm. what it means. Because as we've noted several times over the course of this conversation, so much of what was transpiring a century ago is still transpiring today. Yeah. Still. And so we could maybe get to a point where some of those conversations are truly in the rear view because Mm. we've had them, we've discussed them, we've reached some consensus on them. And I think if Shuffle Along were universally known, it would just bring us that much closer to that. Mm. I think that if everyone knew about Shuffle Along... People would, if people looked back and saw the reviews uh, from the 20s, like George White Scandals and um, Lou Leslie's Blackbirds and all that, that they would understand that it was, they were, 
they were actually copying a show that was um, created by black creatives and understanding that and that there was sort of like an extractive quality, not just of the talent, uh, you know, but also of the just like the mode, right? Like the musical mode and the dancing mode of the of the performances that Shuffle Long sort of ushered it in and showed the way. And then I think maybe it would seem less radical to be calling for black creative teams, you know, to be really deeply questioning when creative teams at Broadway are all white and the content is about black life, that white producers and creatives wouldn't need such a wake up call around those kind of the politics of representation and um, the idea of like nothing about us without us. And obviously we're speculating, so I guess I'm allowed to be as Pollyanna-ish as I want, but that's like one idea that I can think of. I posed a similar question to Amber in mine, but this time I asked her about the show that she performed in. I, unfortunately, I, I never got to see um, Shuffle, the one that you were yeah. in, right? And you won't be able to see it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. She's. Let me ask you this. Um, what if everybody knew? about shuffle along mm. they just hypothetically what, what yeah. if everybody knew how, how do you think things might be different people always say you know how can you move forward mm. without knowing like where you came from like there's you move differently mm. when you know the history if people got to understand and know who Cecil and Blake were how these people sacrificed and were willing to give up their lives for this, they would move differently. I think they would invest their money differently. I think they, you know, I, it makes you ask more questions. It makes you say, mm. also for young chocolate actors to be able to come and see themselves, that does something for you differently. I, I never forget my first Broadway show was the original Color Purple back in, I think that's 2007. Like I was sitting on the front row and my mind was blown. Like that's what it does when you see people who look like you that you know that are your same height, that are your same body type, to see all the different shades and tones and colors that were on stage and shuffled along. Like that does things for people when they come to see this. So I, I can just imagine the effect that shuffle would have had on generations of just young brown kids. Like it, it, it I'm sure it would have had a monumental effect that I can't even put into words, you know? So let's come back to reality for a minute. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that the reality is, even though the show's gone, it has had an effect beyond what anyone thought it would. Amber never really had time to mourn the show. Just a couple weeks after the announcement that Shuffle Along of 2016 was closing, Amber heard about two more pressing tragedies. Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, two black men, were killed by police just a day apart from each other. The videos of both went viral, and Amber decided that she had to do something. Despite never having organized an event, she got together with castmates and some friends she met and put on a massive event called Broadway for Black Lives Matter. That then morphed into another organization called Broadway Advocacy Coalition, which has expanded its work beyond the stage and is still running today. Also, Cassine Gaines happened to be in the audience the day before Amber's show ended, and he was so moved that he decided to dedicate the next five years of his life to writing an entire book about it, which is why we now know more about the 1921 play 
and the people behind it who wrote it than ever before. And Catherine has also been writing about this and teaching, and she put together a symposium that brought together cast members from 2016 and performers and scholars from all over the place, which in turn helped to inspire the episode that you're listening to today. So I guess that what I'm saying is, yes, a lot of shuffle along is lost, but if you know how to listen and if you know where to look, you could still see the influence. Maybe not everybody knows, but now you do. Thank you so much for listening to this, the first episode of If Everybody Knew. I hope you dug it. So first up, the shout outs. This episode would not have happened without the participation of Ambry Mann, Cassine Gaines, and Dr. Catherine Young. That being said, the framing, the editorial, and everything else in this episode is my own. So if you're curious to know more, you should definitely go to the source and check out the show notes at humanities.princeton.edu slash podcast. That'll have links on how you can find Ambry Mann's work, and of course, Footnotes, which is the book that Cassine Gaines wrote. Also, Catherine Young's articles are linked up there, and she happens to be teaching a course on documentary theater next semester. And that symposium I mentioned earlier is called Reactivating Memory, and you can watch the whole thing online. So again, you know I'm only scratching the surface here, but if you want to know more, just head over to humanities.princeton.edu slash podcast. And hey, not everybody knows about Shuffle Along, but if you know somebody who should, maybe send them an email or text and send them a link to the show. And if you're listening to this in iTunes, leaving a rating and a comment helps other people find the show too. But in the meantime, I hope you dug this one, and I hope you join me for the next episode too. Speaking of which, next episode I'm going to be talking with Greg Mittman, the author of Empire of Rubber, Firestone Scramble for Land and Power in Liberia. And that one drops next month. If Everybody Knew is produced with music composed by and hosted by me, Dexter Thomas. Till next time. If Everybody Knew is brought to you by the Humanities Council at Princeton University. Our mission is to nurture the humanities locally and globally, engage diverse perspectives past and present, and enrich public dialogue with humanistic approaches. For information about our programs and events, please visit our website at humanities.princeton.edu.